This is the Action Network Podcast. And it is good! All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch! They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown! You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh my God, that's incredible! Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. And welcome to another edition of the Action Network NFL Fantasy Flex Podcast. I am Chris Raybon, joined as always by Sean Kerner. And forgive me if I sound a little crazy. I'm getting over a cold. Sean, I mean, I feel like Cali finally got me. I was always wondering why people wore like hoodies and, and, and long sleeves when it was like, you know, 75, 80 degrees. And then I was in the supermarket the other day and I just was feeling so cold from the AC. And next thing I know, I'll come down with a cold. But you, you definitely I'm sound like a California now talking about being cold in a grocery store. When I lived in New York briefly, like there'd be a blizzard and I'd get in a grocery store and be like, ah, oh, thank God. Like this is nice and toasty in here. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Totally different perspective. I, when I growing up, I never used to want to wear hats. Like it would be, it would be like, you know, 30 degrees in New York. And <laughs> my parents would be like, wear a hat. And my mom would be like, wear a hat. And I'd be like, no, it was like, doesn't, I don't have a hat for this outfit. And I would, I would be out in no hat in like the dead of winter and I'd be fine. And I come here, been here not longer than like a month. And yep. of course, but uh, it's throwback Thursday. I see you got your, uh, your Chicago bears hat on I, I guess you're gonna bring out a new hat for every for every show yeah use the bet we're not gonna be talking about that many specific players so this is a good time to to get rid of the bears hat um, <laughs> but yeah so whose jersey is that yeah so i got the uh the eric dickerson 1985 uh rams jersey on so so dickerson he used to like cut his jersey up and like cut it at the neck uh for extra ventilation and they actually make it with the little cut right at the v because um, remember where the NFL sign would be. Remember, this is '85, so they didn't start wearing the NFL on the on the little V neck until I think it was '92, '92 or '93. Uh, so like he has a little cut right here. So I like I like the detail um, that Mitchell and Ness did. So I brought this out, you know, in honor of, of LA, you know. But uh, we got the Fantasy 101 pod today, so that means Sean and I will give you guys 101 ways not to suck, or <laughs> more specifically, we're just gonna kind of go through. Um, kind of everything you need to know for, for fantasy, from a fantasy perspective, if you've never really played before. But even if you have, obviously, you know, we know we have a, hard, a lot of hardcore listeners. Um, I think you'll gain a lot from this because we're going to try to we're not going to dumb anything down, but we're going to kind of talk to you guys as if you're kind of coming from a ground point. So we'll start really basic, um, but also break down some of the more advanced you know, techniques and, and strategies that come come off that. So um, this is going to be a really cool episode. Um, we do this every year. Uh, excited to do this one. So we'll start with a big picture approach. We'll get into, you know, the flex and, and draft positions and, and ceilings and floors and, and rankings and ADP and all that good stuff. All those, those, those kind of buzzwords that you guys hear us talking about all the time, bus sweepers, all that stuff. So uh, let's hop right in. So what would you little maniacs like to do first? Our big picture approach to fantasy drafting. When we, when we talk about fantasy drafting and, it's really all about the running back early, right? Like running backs are kind of almost any league format. They're just the most valuable players almost by default because there's just not many of them that truly play a featured role in their offense. Yeah, I think big picture running backs are the most important position. Um, and this has been something that's evolved ever since I started playing fantasy football back in 1998. You had 11 running backs that year with 300 or more carries, 20 rushed for over a thousand yards. Look back at last year, 2020, there were only two running backs who saw 300 plus carries and only nine rushed for a thousand plus yards. So it's definitely more of a running back by committee era. I mean, I think coaches have wised up to limiting players' workloads, keeping them fresh, getting the most out of every player. Um, so it does make sense that the league would sort of evolve, but that makes those running backs, those Christian McCaffrey's, those Dalvin Cooks, even more valuable because they're the only guys that you can bank on 20 plus touches per week. And plus, you know, the running back position itself is pretty fragile. It's each workhorse back, you know, they get tackled 15 to 20 times a game. So it's, they're more likely to get hurt. They're typically, you know, the, the smallest framed 
body on the field. So it's just as important to get their backups too, because whenever running back goes down, the next man up is usually, you know, like a running back two value. So I think that when you enter a draft, you know, you got to get your running backs early in the middle of the draft and late. Like you can't walk away at the draft with thin running backs. But, you know, overall, you know, quarterback is a pretty easy position to draft. It's it's robust. We have a lot of great quarterbacks in this day and age. So it's really easy to get a quarterback late. So you don't really need to draft a quarterback early. Um, and then, you know, wide receiver, same thing. It's it's robust. You need to walk away with a lot of receivers, but there's a lot out there right now. And then tight end, especially, you know, with Travis Kelsey still in his prime, guys like that, you definitely want to get early. So position scarcity, which we could talk about a little bit later on, but that's a very important part when it comes to drafting is, you know, you're getting guys before there's a huge drop-off at a position. So that that's my big overall takeaway for like how I approach drafts. I was in an orthodox league. It was my dad's league uh, with his buddies. And I grew up watching him play in that. And it wasn't until 1998 uh, before I was able to join that league. So I was thrown right into the fire. You know, my dad would bust into my bedroom, catch me reading fancy football magazines and yell at me and say, go back to doing your homework. Like you're not going to get a career in that. So, you know, that's how this passion I have for fantasy started. Yeah, shouts to your pops, by the way. I know he's a listener of the pod and um, one of my favorite guests. So we have to have him back on at some point. For sure, for sure. It's a passing week nowadays. Everyone's in the shotgun. And so the reason we we talk running backs as kind of like the the most important, the most valuable part of a, a draft is because they're rare. Feature backs are even rarer. If you kind of miss on a wide receiver, even like let's say you're drafting wide receivers third, fourth, and fifth rounds because he drafted running backs in the first two. You don't have to nail them. Your wide receiver one could be a wide receiver two or three. And by the way, I guess even that is something we should talk about. So when we, you know, there's two ways we kind of refer to, to players, you know, a, a, a wide receiver one generally means like a starting number one wide receiver, slot wide receiver. So if you're in a 12 team league, that wide receiver one would generally be a wide receiver that uh, you can expect to finish, you know, in the top 12 over the course of the season or, you know, in a given week. Uh, a wide receiver two would be, you know, that 12 to 13 to 24 range, wide receiver three, 25 to 36, yeah. uh, et cetera. So that's usually what we mean when we're talking like wide receiver one, you know, running back one, same thing. Running back one would be, you know, one through 12. Um, you know, if you're in a 10 team league, it, you know, it's one through 10. But generally a starter in that first slot is a, is a RB1, a starter in that second slot to RB2, um, so on and so forth. But uh, and, and something we also didn't even hit on with running backs in regard to the other positions that I think is is really important and probably one of the hardest things to project, which is why we kind of I, I know we both kind of stick to like a pretty rigid median games played projection for, for each position. But it does differ between running backs and other positions the most, whereas running backs, you know, in the normal 16 game season, a running back would miss uh, the median would be correct me if I'm wrong about two to three games. Whereas for other positions, the median miss games for like a guy who's a starter and not getting, you know, scratched is usually like one game. Like you can usually project 15 games for, you know, quarterback receiver, tight end running back. You're usually in that 14, 14.5 range. Exactly. And now that we have an extra game, that's just going to get amplified even more running backs. I'm not sure how you're projecting games played, but I, I have, you know, sort of the same ratio. So running backs definitely, you know, typically miss two to three games, but that that's why I kind of say that the, the backup running backs are getting even more valuable because they're being used more even when the running back's healthy. And now with the extra game, it's more likely they're going to have an extra game of, you know, being a starter. So that's why I like stashing a bunch of like backup, high upside backup running backs. It's like, look at a guy like Christian McCaffrey last year, you know, had never really missed games. And, and all of a sudden, you know, he, he barely plays in any games. And, and a lot of people took him with that number one pick, you know, they took him first in their draft. And so it, you can, you can never relax at the running back position. And that's why they're so important. And that's why, you know, even if you draft two good ones and you feel like your, your starting lineup is good, that doesn't mean you just forget about the position. A lot of times, especially if you're like a, a good drafter who trusts in like your, your ability to take a quarterback late or a tight end late or, or find some value at wide receiver, which is always possible given how many they are. A lot of times uh, I know I will draft maybe like my first backup running back before I've even filled out my starting lineup, especially before my first quarterback. Is that something you also have, have done? Yeah, definitely. Just because, like I said, they're, they're so valuable. Just building your running back core is critical to your fantasy team. And speaking of streaming, I think this is a good time to kind of explain 
what that means. And I'll do it in the context of startable games, which I think is, is the way I like to think about each position. You know, with running backs, if you draft a, a, a RB1, a, a guy who's in that top 12 ranking wise, you're probably going to start him every week. So he's probably going to be a feature back, a guy who can stay on the field on, on third downs, like your McCaffrey, your Cook, guys like that. And you're going to expect about, you know, 13 to 14 to 15 startable games because you're the only non-startable weeks you're going to have are the ones, you know, where he gets hurt. Now you can kind of apply that to every position. You're just trying to kind of maximize the amount of startable games on your roster. Now, because in most weeks start one quarterback, that's usually 10, 12, 14 quarterbacks, depending on your league size that are needed to start. Um, and even if you're in a two quarterback league, you're, you still need less starters then there are, you know, a starting games, then there are quarterbacks in the league. So explain in that context, like streaming and why it works so well at quarterback and the, the positions where you only have to start one, a.k.a. tight end, kicker, defense. That's a great question. And, you know, if I were to wait at quarterback and let's say I draft a guy like Joe Burrow later in the draft, you know, he's a low end QB one. But, you know, week to week, the matchups change. He could have a really tough matchup. Um, let's say against the Ravens, uh, you know, another quarterback that might be on the waiver wire, like a Matt Ryan has a better matchup and he's ranked higher. So you would actually pick up Matt Ryan that week and play him over Joe Burrow. So that's, that's why I'm saying when, when you stream a quarterback, you're essentially using the entire waiver wire and taking the best projected quarterback that week and playing him. And it's a very solid strategy. And I have an article that I put out every week where I talk about my best streaming quarterback. Every year, I I can usually produce like the number six to number eight uh, quarterback just by combining all 17 or 16 games using guys that I find on the waiver wire. So that's why I mean that, you know, the quarterback position is so robust and you're, you're able to kind of just pluck guys from the waiver wire each week and have a productive quarterback, uh, sort of like a Frankenstein quarterback, I like to call it. And you can't do that really at any other position. You know, running back, you can't do that. Wide receiver, you can't do that. Tight end, you definitely can't do that. So that's why a quarterback, especially, you see people talking about just punting quarterback altogether because they're going to stream it. That's what I'm referring to. Yeah, exactly. It's all about value relative to the amount of draft capital you're going to spend on a position. So even though, you know, you may look at a Patrick Mahomes, you may look at a Kyler Murray, a Josh Allen and say, okay, I'm going to start these guys every week. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, their third, fourth, fifth round draft cost um, is worth it relative to getting, you know, another double digit, like, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 startable games of high end production from a running back or from a wide receiver for that matter, because you can kind of put together a mid range to, to high end starter in a one quarterback league, just by kind of drafting a guy that maybe has a good schedule for week one, two, Mm -hmm. maybe three. And then you kind of pick up and, and add and drop guys from there. You use your roster and your bench spots to your advantage. And also quarterback scoring is just generally closer together and it's more predictable. So, well, every year there's usually a quarterback or two that just like blows everyone out the water. That doesn't mean you're, you're going to be able to predict that guy before the season starts and that that guy's going to stay healthy for all 16 games, you know, we, we saw, or 17 now, but we, you know, we saw Patrick Mahomes, you know, a couple of years ago, he missed some games, you know, so, you know, it's never a guarantee at running back year. There's going to be so much more demand for those players. They're probably already be on a roster, just a crapshoot, you know, so you do have to draft some, some high upside backup running backs, but they're not just going to necessarily be available for the taking. Um, and if they are, people are going to be willing to spend a lot more of their waiver budget on them or, or, the, or use their waiver priority or, or whatever it may be. It's just supply and demand. Uh, of course, with, with kicker and defense, same concept applies. Never draft those guys uh, before the last two rounds if your league does, uh, does have them. One of my favorite tips to give is instead of drafting a kicker defense in your draft, again, those are de- those are things that you can stream in season, just like I said about quarterback. Draft two more backup running backs. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're drafting, there's still might be another preseason game. You know, a starting running back can tweak his ankle. You never know, and you can use those guys immediately. Um, I, I did that a couple of seasons ago with um, James Conner backing up Le'Veon Bell and the Steelers. You know, there was uncertainty there. Instead of drafting a kicker, I just took a lottery ticket on James Conner and he ended up being, you know, a league winner. So use those last two picks on just a lottery ticket running back as opposed to a kicker defense that you can just stream each week anyway. Yeah, I love that tip so much because there's so many things you can do with that because 
most drafts are not happening like a day before the season. Most drafts are happening like a week or two at least. Even if you kind of, you just use those spots on extra running backs, um, you may be able to work out like a trade or something where you're okay parting with, let's say, the fourth running back you drafted in a package and using that like extra fifth and sixth back that you may have not drafted if you had, or, or sixth or seventh back that you may have not drafted if you had drafted a kicker or defense come draft time, you may be able to now use that guy as your fifth running back because there might not be that much separation between like, you know, the 60th ranked running back and the 75th ranked running back. So you'll always be able to find a kicker and a defense on the waiver wire. So um, that is one of the, that's one of the best tips. That's really it as it comes in terms of a big picture strategy. It's, you know, running backs are the most valuable just because they're the most scarce. The positions where you start one are by are inherently less valuable, but the only reason we kind of tight end is a little more valuable than quarterback, even though you usually start one is because there's just such a separation between the studs, like a Kelsey from that next tier of guys where it can still be a crapshoot, even if you have like, you know, a Hawkinson or a Goddard or a Fant, like those guys can still have a lot of weeks that are not technically startable that you'll probably still start them because you don't have a better option. Anyway, you can come a lot closer to replicating as crazy as it sounds like a Patrick Mahomes than you can a Travis Kelsey um, just by streaming. Exactly. This is Action Network podcast producer Matt Mitchell here to tell you our friends at BetMGM have a great new signup offer for our listeners, a $600 risk-free first bet. Here's how it works. If you don't already have an account at BetMGM, just sign up, make your first deposit, and place that initial wager. If the bet wins, you get all the money. If it doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $600. It's that simple. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the features gamblers like us love, like live betting and daily odds boosts, plus they're compatible with BetSync, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. All right, let's go to the the next kind of big thing, you know, big topic, which is something that most leagues are going to have nowadays. I don't know many without one, um, but um, if your league doesn't have one for, for, for some reason, I think that the concepts and, and the positional values still apply, but it's the flex position. And the flex is usually you're going to be able to start anyone but a quarterback, so a running back, wide receiver, or a tight end. I think this is where you can kind of make or break your early round to mid-round draft strategy and results is, you know, how you kind of draft for that flex position. So how do you kind of go about looking at that flex position, both in the draft and then to prepare for like what you're going to do um, on a week-to-week basis? Yeah, I, I don't really consider it a draft strategy. I'm trying to load up my bench as much as possible. So like I said, I'm getting just running backs with massive upside, wide receivers I can plug and play. So like I'm already kind of handling this in my draft by building out my bench pretty well. Um, it's definitely a week-to-week decision, and that's why I recommend, you know, decide who you're starting your flex week one by looking at our flex rankings, our projections. That's the decision you make in season um, as opposed to anything I have like, you know, a specific flex strategy in a draft. I just think you should be building out your bench anyway. And in turn, you know, you're going to have a lot of options for your flex week to week. I do think it's a little bit in draft strategy, but just coming back more to what I was saying before about like, don't be afraid to draft like your third or fourth running back before you have a quarterback or something like that. You're exactly right. But I do consider it something you're doing on draft day. Cause like some people, I think some people would just look to like fill the flex spot with like one guy. And what you're saying is exactly right. It's like, it's going to change every week. And that's also related to how your other positions are ranked every week. So just because you draft two running backs and three wide receivers and their flex doesn't mean you're going to want to start those players in that 
they're going to be ranked in that order every week. Sometimes you may have four wide receivers ranked above your top three running backs or, or, or top, you know, ahead of your third running back. And then you'd start a receiver in the flex that week or something like that. So um, it, it, that's why your bench is important. That's why waiting on quarterback is, is important. It, it also is going to depend on your scoring system because in a standard league that doesn't award any points per reception, I think that's where you're most likely to need more running backs in that flex position. You're going to end up with more running backs in that flex position. Running backs are going to give you a more consistent like floor. If you can guarantee that they're going to get, you know, 15 plus touches in a game, but what usually happens, there's just not a lot enough of those to go around. So half PPR, full PPR, especially a lot of times your number, you know, if you start three wide receivers, your number four wide receiver is actually going to be very important as well, because that may be your flex starter more often than not. The, the way I would describe the flex position is like your top bench player that week. Running backs offer the highest floor. And specifically, if, if your bench is full of just upside guys like I'm talking about where they might not have week-to-week value, I could see, you know, in a PPR league drafting a high floor running back like a J.D. McKissick just as a stopgap mm-hmm. because eventually we're going to have a lot of bye weeks where there's not going to be a lot of playable players. So it's nice to have just a high floor player like that on your bench that you could just plug in and, you know, you know, he's not going to win your week and put up a huge score, but he'll at least give you a handful of points. So I think when you, when you construct your bench, you do want like some high floor guys that in the event that you, you don't have any options, you have a guy that you could just plug in at least play. But overall, I do think the flex is more of just like your top bench player that week. So that's, that's kind of how I'm constructing my bench anyway, is thinking about that flex position as sort of that top bench play that week. And we'll get into a little more on like how to draft, like, you know, which guys to draft, which is obviously, you know, one of the most important things. It's not just about, you know, you're not picking positions, you're picking players, but just more generally, I would say that, you know, running backs, it's, it's almost all volume, you know, running backs are going to have good matchups in a given week. They're going to have bad ones, but when a running back has a good or bad matchup, it's not always just a weak run defense. Or, or a bad matchup is a strong run defense. A lot of times it's just, okay, this running back's team is favored. That means the, the game script is going to be positive and he'll be allowed to get 20 carries on top of his two to three to four receptions instead of a game where his team may project to be trailing where he might only get 10 carries along with those you know two to four catches. So, you know, running back, home, favorite situations where the team is going to win. That's when some of those fringe guys are going to be valuable matchup-wise. But it's a luxury to have like running backs to choose between on your roster that you can kind of pick apart matchups, whereas it's going to be a lot easier to do for quarterbacks, wide receivers, not as much as riding on every pick for quarterback wide receiver, which just goes back to why running backs are so valuable. Uh, Hit that horn, babe. Let's dance. I want to talk about something that I think a lot of people, especially new, but even even experienced drafters kind of mull over and think about and, and, and kind of wonder how, you know, how it affect, how it's going to affect their draft. Um, and, and that's draft position, especially in the first round. Now I'm of the opinion that I think people spend a way too much time worrying about their first and second round picks. Like, I don't know. I don't know if you agree on that. Oh yeah. I definitely agree with you specifically. Like people love to get the first pick, right? Every draft is different, but I think every draft position you get, you're going to have a different type of draft. And if you have the first pick, you're probably taking Christian McCaffrey, but like we saw last year, you already mentioned it, he got hurt. It, you're not guaranteed to get the top scoring player that year. So I actually prefer to be in the middle of the draft, um, not necessarily because of a specific player. I just like having five to six picks between me and the next pick, like all the time. I think it, you, you get a better sense on like which guys are going to be there um, for you. So when you have the first pick, you know, it usually takes 24 picks for it to come back to you. It's really hard to draft that way because you don't know if a certain position is going to go on a run or if the player you really like is going to be there. So I feel like when you have the first pick or the last pick, when you're on the ends, you have to reach more. You have to take the player that you really don't think is going to make it back to you. So you have to draft the guy maybe earlier than you would hope. Whereas the middle of draft, I think you just get the most flexibility and you're able to kind of carve out the team that you want. Um, so I prefer to be in the middle, but in the end, like, just give me any draft pick. I'll figure it out from there. I don't really care. Like you said, people worry about the first few rounds at any draft position. I, I think I can, you know, pick a winning team, um, but each position itself, you, you kind of have a different draft plan. 
it's important to know, especially, you know, I think everyone should be reminded of this, but it's especially important if you're kind of newer to remember that you will not win your draft in the first few rounds, but you can lose it. So the first few rounds of the draft, there's less of a wide range of outcomes amongst the players that are going to be taken. You know, it's generally going to be the, the top stars at, at, at every position with, with a few more running backs probably mixed in. What's really going to happen is that you're either going to you're going to lose it unintentionally or, you know, Wes, it's not going to be your fault, but you guys are just going to get hurt. And, and sometimes that could just sink you. So I think the biggest thing is to not like obsess about the first few rounds, because if, if you look at it like, OK, you have a limited amount of you know, time, energy, analysis, whatever that you're going to put into your draft and you're spending a disproportionate amount of time on those first few rounds, that is not going to maximize your chances of winning because the most important picks are going to come in the middle to the late rounds because that's going to, everyone's going to get some combination of great players in the first like two, three, four rounds, right? So it's how do you now build around that? Because like, there's nothing wrong with taking like a Travis Kelsey instead of a running back early or or something like that. What's really going to happen is now how do you build that team around that combination of players that you chose in the first four rounds. Don't like, just because you got two running backs doesn't mean you just uh, like ignore running back. That, that could be an example of how you could lose your draft in the middle rounds or, or, you know, just because you got four wide receivers or something like that. Now you have to really make sure you draft the right combination of upside backs in the, in the middle rounds or, or whatever it may be. The middle to the end is going to be so much more important. So I wouldn't even like obsess about it. It's like, you're most, most of the time you're going to be wrong straight up just by somebody getting hurt. And everyone, you know, there will be a cut, a couple of like obvious guys that you should probably not draft in those early rounds. Like guys that have bus written all over them, you know, Sean kind of trademarked the, the, the frozen pond running back tier, which is where you get past like those kind of locks at running back, maybe those first top 10, top 12, maybe 15 running backs. And then you're kind of into that, you know, number two running back range. And there's guys that only have like one season of success or, you know, they might start for the whole year. They might not. And, you know, people start looking at positional scarcity and, and, and rightly so, because we, you know, we just talked, that was one of the first things we talked about. Um, but it's still, it's everyone has a value and we kind of value it based on like, uh, there's something called value-based drafting, where you just kind of look at whatever your starting lineup requirement is, you look at the lowest starters. If you're starting two running backs in a 12-team league, that what's that 24th running back? What, how, many, how, much, how many points does he project to score? Okay, how, does all the, uh, how do all the other running backs compare to that um, being drafted ahead of him? So, you know, a running back projected to score like, you know, 20 more points than the baseline running back we get a plus 20 and then you do the same for every position. You can kind of rank them that way. That's one of the basic ways that, that we kind of rank players, you know, regardless of position in, for our flex rankings, for, for our, you know, top 200 or whatever, overall, you just kind of look at that. So it's important not to go take it too far and say, okay, it, it really just, it's important to be able to recognize like, okay, here's a spot where I'm not going to reach on a, a player just because he's at a certain position. Like whatever combination of guys you come out of those first three, four rounds with, you're not going to really win your draft um, because everyone's getting, you know, three or four really good players. So uh, with that being said, don't worry about those first four picks and don't, and don't really worry about like your draft position. Like Sean said, like there's advantages to every one of them. Like draft early, you get the number one pick, you get three of the top 25 picks. But, you know, me, I, I actually like drafting toward the end more. So middle to the end, not right at the turn of like, you know, 11 or 12, 13 or whatever, but maybe like the 10th pick in a 12 team league. So like, I, I, I kind of have some of the decisions made for me early on. Maybe some people make mistakes, guys fall, but I can also kind of, there's like a pick or two in between me uh, and the other drafters after me. So I can kind of strategize later on in the draft with their looking at their rosters and saying, okay, well, I can, maybe I can wait like an extra round on a quarterback because they already took a quarterback or, or something like that. So, um, but I like having that option of like maybe being able to steal some value by, by, by kind of looking at rosters, uh, you know, between me and, and my next pick. All right, everybody in the NFL, I have a dream of winning a Super Bowl. I'm really not into dreams, okay? I'm into nightmares. We're not trying to go to the Gator Bowl. We're trying to go to the Super Bowl. And to do that, you got to really try to end somebody's dream. So get into that. Let's, let's get into a little more of like how we actually look at players and who we're actually targeting based on what we're expecting for them. It sounds more advanced than it is, but it's kind of like 
ceilings, floor, consistency, uh, or like the opposite of consistency, which is volatility. So we like to look at range of outcomes, right, Sean? Like it's yep. like every week there's going to be a range of outcomes for a player. And generally the, the, the deeper you go into a draft, the wider that range of outcomes is going to be for, 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 every, for, for any position. But it's just that like quarterbacks have the kind of the, they have a, a more compact range of outcomes. Whereas like, you know, when you start talking about like your second running back, your third wide receiver, they're going to have a lot more, a wider range of outcomes week to week. Exactly. So, I mean, I mentioned it earlier, but you know, one of the mistakes I see a lot of people make is that, you know, they take Christian McCaffrey first pick overall. And they think, there you go. I got the top scoring running back. And it's not that simple. Like you said, there's a range of outcomes. I would give a guy like Christian McCaffrey a 15 to 20% chance of actually finishing as a top scoring running back. You know, he can get hurt. We saw that last year. Plus anything can happen. You know, guys behind him can have a career year. He can kind of disappoint a little bit, end up being the fifth scoring running back. So whenever we're projecting players, you know, we're projecting their median. So, you know, you talked about quarterbacks. A perfect example would be like Tom Brady versus Trey Lance. You know, I'm projecting Tom Brady for 4,700 yards and 36 touchdowns. He's probably going to end up somewhere right around there, right? And start every game that he's healthy and end up being a low-end quarterback one. We kind of know what we're going to expect out of Tom Brady. But Trey Lance, you know, he could back up Jimmy G all year and not start a game for all we know. Or he could start week one and be a low-end to high-end quarterback one. We don't really know. So that's when I think of Trey Lance, I think of a wide range of outcomes. His projection is 232 fantasy points. It could be over 300. It could be under 100. So a guy like him has an extreme range of outcomes. So you have to handle him differently. Whereas Tom Brady, we kind of know roughly where he's going to end up. So that's kind of when I'm looking at guys, where I am in the draft, what kind of league I'm in. I'm thinking about guys in that kind of way. Absolutely. And, and and this goes back to kind of how to use your early round picks, because I think in the early rounds, the one thing you're really looking for is a low range of outcomes. Like you're not, you don't want a wide range of outcomes with your top pick. Let's say like a JK Dobbins versus like a Derrick Henry or somebody like that. Like the reason Derrick Henry is like a top three pick is because there's a, a pretty small range of outcomes with him. It's like, He's going to get hurt and miss games, but if, he, if he's in the lineup, he's probably going to get 20-plus carries a week and, and be efficient with those carries. Whereas a guy like J.K. Dobbins, his top games may come, even come close to Derrick Henry's. You know, he may have a couple of games where he has like 190 yards and multiple touchdowns in a game, but he'll also have weeks where he may not even get double-digit carries. Those will add up over the course of the season. And so you don't want that high up in your draft if you can avoid it. So... You know, that's why, you know, Travis Kelsey is one of the only tight ends you take high because almost every week he's giving you double digit points and almost in, in, like even in standard, you know, he's, he's coming pretty close uh, most weeks. Um, that's what you're really looking for. So early in draft, first few picks, that's why I say you can't win it, but you can lose it. If you start taking guys with too wide a range of outcomes early, regardless of position, that's how you lose your draft early. Early in the draft, just make sure you get guys with, a range of outcomes that's going to be predictable. You're not going to be able to predict injuries. The only thing I will say with that is like, if a guy's hurt heading into a season, those are the guys I tend to avoid more so than even like the injury prone label guys. Like, and I know this is somewhat of a bad example because he ended up missing games due to suspension, but like a guy like Will Fuller, it was like he had the injury prone label. And so people, he was kind of, everyone was kind of down on him, but like, well, he was healthy he was one of the top wide receivers in the game. And then unfortunately, of course, he gets yeah. suspended and misses the same amount of games that he had been <laughs> all the other years anyway. Yeah. But you see my point, right? Or it's like the injury prone label is less worrisome than a guy like AJ Green, you know, like they you come into the year hurt. You, you already got to predict injuries for guys, you know, a couple missed games. So if you, it's almost like you're, you're doubling that by coming into the year hurt or, or even worse. So that's the one area where I personally would say kind of have some caution. Um, but, and that will kind of widen the range of outcomes. I think when it comes to these range of outcomes, I, I talked about different formats. And I think it's important to say that for best ball format specifically, I'm looking for players with a higher ceiling. So you're only going to get points um, when they have their spiked weeks. And you're competing against everybody else in your league. You have to score the most points in your league. It's a top-heavy payout system. So a guy like Will Fuller, I love to get because he has those spiked weeks. You don't really care if he gets suspended or injured for a few games. 
you'll live. Um, whereas, you know, season long head to head formats, I, I value a higher floor uh, much more um, because, you know, every week you're playing against one opponent. So you just need to score more points than your opponent. So you just need points. <laughs> so Will Fuller or like, you know, like a Tyler Lockett having a dud, that doesn't help you that week. It's detrimental. So a guy like Tyler Boyd that I draft over Will Fuller in that range, where Tyler Boyd's probably not going to have massive, massive games with T Higgins and um, Jamar Chase now, but you know, he'll get four to five catches a game and get you some points. So I think that's more valuable in season long. So that's, that's what I, I have both guys ranked similar um, in my projections, but I think of them two different lights when it comes to best ball versus say season long head to head. That's, that's kind of how I view players differently when it comes to the range of outcomes. Yeah. And just, just because this is a, a one-on-one episode, just to be clear, um, the traditional like default fantasy format is head to head where it's like, you're making a line, you draft a team and then you make a lineup every week and you, you have to set it before, you know, game start on Sunday and, and you're going against one other opponent and your wins and losses are totaled up. Best ball is where you draft a team with a deeper roster. Usually have like two or three quarterbacks, like six or seven running backs and wide receivers, two or three tight ends. And then you're just whoever the highest scoring, you know, like one quarterback, two running backs, three receivers are in each week, you get credit for those points. And you don't, you don't care as much about the consistency in those weeks um, as you would in a traditional format. Arms in the air and a victory salute. He's pulling down his pants. Pull up those pants. Take off the bra and be a man. The next thing we want to talk about is sticking with how do you draft players? Most people are going to use some form of rankings, right? And really, the way you're, you should be drafting is based on value. And I kind of touched on it before with, you know, the baselines for each starter. And to be more specific, you're using rankings and you're using average draft position. Now, every league, you're going to be able to find the average. Like if you're drafting on ESPN, you'll be able to go to ESPN and you'll see the average draft position for ESPN. If you're drafting on Yahoo, you can find it. So there's always going to be some type of average draft position. That's essentially like a player's market value. So Sean, I guess explain kind of what you see as like the biggest mistake people make when they're drafting based on rankings. Like they'll get our top 200. They'll see player A rank before player B. That doesn't automatically mean you should draft that player, right? Exactly. So that's, that's a huge mistake I see people make um, is, you know, obviously you want to use the rankings when you're drafting, but that doesn't mean you draft them at that time. Um, I see people draft a player they could have gotten, you know, two to three rounds later, and that kills the value. That's the whole point of drafting is we're trying to get guys at a value. So the way I use ADP is, you know, whenever I have a draft pick, one of the questions I ask is, which players do I think will make it back to me? And based on that answer, I make my decision. And if there's players that I know will make it back to me, I'm not going to draft them right there. And that's kind of what I use ADP for is I could, you know, I have Marvin Jones ranked as like the wide receiver 44. I'm a bit high compared to ADP. I'm not going to draft him at 84 if the market is drafting him at 60. So I can pass on him for a few rounds. I know that by looking at ADP. So that's kind of how I use ADP. It's, it's deciding when to take players. And that's how we get value is drafting a guy like Marvin Jones around his ADP wide receiver, six, wide receiver 60, um, you know, and then we have a guy that I consider to be, you know, a low end wide receiver four. So that's, that's kind of how I view ADP is, you know, it's a marketplace and we're seeing kind of where other people in our league are going to be drafting players. And this is really important in the sense of not just individual players, but it goes back to positional value as well, because really when you're asking like which players are going to make it back to me, you're not going to know exactly which players you, you know, you're not a psychic. You're not going to be able to completely, you know, it's average draft position for a reason, but what you can kind of figure out is groups of players that are going to make it back to you and how many of them will be at a certain position. And, and this is something you like to do, Sean, and have made very popular is tiering players, right? So for example, like let's say you're in the fourth round and you're debating between, you know, a running back and a wide receiver that are ranked closely. But, you know, you see that in the fifth round, there are a bunch of other running backs with a fifth round average draft position that are also ranked similarly 
to the running back you're considering, but there may be none of the wide receivers in that range left, or maybe one if you're lucky. Um, so even if th- there's a running back might be projected a couple points higher and thus ranked a couple points higher, the wide receiver may be a better choice because of the tiers that you have ranked and then the tiers according to the average draft position, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's, uh, you know, tiers kind of work with ADP really well. If there's seven players left in the same tier, and you think one of them make it back, that's kind of telling you, hey, I don't need to draft this position yet. Um, obviously, it's more complicated than that. But if there's one player left in a tier, and I say there's a huge drop-off after that tier, I want to get that guy immediately um, and then fill other positions. So that's kind of how tiers, you know, it's kind of a dance between, you know, positional tiers and position scarcity and ADP and kind of balancing out when you get players. And that's that's really all I'm trying to do in a, in a draft is maximizing value getting players before big drop-offs at a position and using ADP to know when I should take those players. Yeah, absolutely. The good thing about average draft position is that like, there's no kind of secret to tiering players. Like you can just look at an overall ADP and understand the tiers. Like for example, the, the number 61 player is an ADP is Raheem Mostert. Number 62 is is Melvin Gordon. Number 63 is Travis Etienne. There's like three running backs there in that tier, but those are the 25, 26, 27. The running back 24 is is at 54th overall. So then you have from 54th through 60th, you don't have any running backs. And then you get three more. And then there's a big drop off until you get to 69. So you can kind of see that like, if you're picking anywhere between like 50 and 70, there's probably only going to be like three or four running backs that are going to go. That's where your rankings come in. That's when you're now looking at, okay, are any of these running backs actually worth drafting or do I have other players ahead of them? And do I need a running back badly, you know, that badly that I need one of these guys in that range, right? So it's kind of the ADP tiers are going to, there. you just look at the list. Like they're already there. You can visualize it. It's very simple. And then your ranking tiers, that's where, you know, having, you know, rankings that you trust, you can go to Action Network, um, and get ours. We'll have a, a tool for that as well with Sean and I's um, rankings and the consensus rankings and all that. But that's where you really get your idea of like, you compare those two and that's how you're kind of drafting. Another thing I would caution against is like, especially because people do this in the early rounds is like trying to plan out every pick. Yeah. You may have an ideal target, but really you should have more of like an ideal tier and players within that tier are your target. So you shouldn't like, okay, I'm drafting like seventh, I'm going to draft Zeke. And then it's like, well, what if Zeke goes fifth? Then it's like, you know, it's like more so like I'm drafting seventh and I know I want like a Taylor, a Zeke or Chubb or a Barkley you know, whoever falls over, let's say a Kelsey and Adams, a Hill, or, you know what I mean? Like, that's how you kind of should be thinking about it. And like, and I know it's kind of a more general question, but I just want to give, you know, people kind of a better visualization of like how we hear our players and you do this better than anyone. Give a general overview of your process for tiering players. Like, what kind of constitutes of a tier? Like what is kind of the differentiation point where you go from one tier to the next at each Yeah, that's a good question. Obviously a big part of it is my projected points. Like tight end's a good example of this. Tier one, I have Travis Kelsey all by himself. Tier two, I have Darren Waller and George Kittle. And then tier three, I have Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson and Kyle Pitts. So the, the idea of like say tier three with Andrews, Hawkinson and Pitts is give me any one of those guys. I don't care. Um, I like all of them equally. So that gives you flexibility with, you know, the great point you made. Don't go in the draft saying, I'm going to drop this guy, this guy, this guy. Like I'm thinking of these ranges. Give me either Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson, or Kyle Pitts, and I'll be happy. Um, I'm considering all three players equal in value. So it it gives you more flexibility. You're able to react to the things that come up in the draft you don't expect. So that's, that's how I use tiers is sort of what you were saying is like fallback plans, attack a position. Like I said, Travis Kelsey is in a tier all by himself. So I kind of want to get him early on um, before the position starts to drop off. So that's, that's kind of how I view tiers. Would you say it's like even the drop off between Kelsey and then Waller and uh, Kittle, you said? Yeah. Generally, what is that? Like a a couple fantasy points per week? Like what is the actual raw point projection? That's like denoting this, this separation between the tiers. It depends on each tier. And I try to point it out in my article. And you can look at our projections, honestly, to see where the tier drop-offs are. But, you know, the drop-off between um, Kelsey and Waller, that's that's a pretty big drop-off. So that's a couple points a week. 
Um, and that's why it's critical to take a guy like Kelsey early. But, um, you know, when you, the farther down you get, there's less of a drop off, you know, the positions tend to stabilize. Um, but each tier is different in terms of the, the potential drop off. And I try to highlight in my article itself, you know, I say, Hey, this is a massive drop off between this tier and this tier. So it makes that tier even more valuable and why you would want to target that tier. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if it's because we do this so much, but like, obviously your scoring system could be a little different depending on your league format, but like fantasy scoring, especially when you're for non quarterbacks, which doesn't quarterbacks, you don't really, don't really matter because they, you could always find one late, but it's not that hard to kind of calculate fantasy scoring. It's like, you know, 0.1 points per, you know, per yard or a point every 10 yards. And then you get six for a touchdown. Right. And then one or a half for reception. So like, I don't, I don't know about you, but like, even though, I feel like when we kind of publish projections, they're generally in, in the format of like season long points scored. I, when I'm drafting, especially and when I'm tiering, I definitely like to think about it and even projecting the season long stats. Like I like to think about it on a per week basis. And like, it, it kind of makes a lot more sense where it's like, okay, I can, I can count on this guy to give me like four catches and 60 yards per week in a PPR week, that's 10 points. And then touchdowns are so volatile that like, if we're talking about a receiver, everyone's going to be around like 0.3 or 0.4 touchdowns for the most part. So you could say like, I don't, I, this may be weird, but like, I can do that math in my head too. Like, you know, 0.3 touchdowns times six. So you could kind of visualize those drop-offs like, okay, there are a certain amount of receivers that you could count on for like five plus catches and, and 80 plus yards a week. Then there are, there's like a tier of wide receivers that are probably get you four for like 50 to 60 a week. You can kind of visualize these drop-offs. We're just thinking about guys in buckets. And Travis Kelsey gets his own bucket. There's nobody that you can lump in with him. And that's what makes him valuable. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that, like, we're saying we guarantee that no one will get more catches per game than Travis Kelsey. It's just like, from a projection standpoint, (laughs) no one's median is higher than that. Like, Darren Waller. Okay, here's an example. And this, I think this is because I really want to help people kind of visualize this and kind of be able to do this in multiple ways, whether they're beginning or they're kind of picking it up quick. Seven catches, 94 yards per game is Travis Kelsey. He's in a tier by himself. Now, Darren Waller last year averaged 6.7 catches per game for 75 yards. The catches per game, that's only 0.3 points per week if you're in a full PPR. But the yards per game is 20 yards different. That's 20 yards per week. That's two points per week. That's a massive difference. Whereas a whole bunch of wide receivers in like the 60 to 75 range, you know, those are your wide receiver twos. You have a, you know, your wide receiver ones are generally a little above 75, but the top yards per game last year for all players receiving wise was Devonte Adams, 98. You had 11 players with 80 yards or more. And then you had another 20 with 60 to 79. You know, so you're kind of getting towards like what your target is for like a good starting lineup just by understanding supply and demand in terms of teams yardage totals. Like there's only going to be so many players that can average so many yards receiving. And that's how you can kind of tear them off. And it's the same thing with reception. They are who we thought they were. All right. So how do we mitigate busts? Like, um, I think that's kind of the thing that you want to avoid. Obviously everywhere, but it's more important early. So what are you doing? What are you, what are you avoiding? I guess at each position or in general or both early or early in the draft, especially. Well, I mean, aren't we all trying to avoid bus? I mean, I make mistakes all the time. I draft bus last year. A perfect example was Lamar Jackson. You know, he was the number one quarterback taken in most leagues. Um, and he, he didn't get hurt necessarily. He just, he wasn't playing well. One of the most important things to do is to not, sell low. So don't just get rid of him because he's struggling. You kind of have to ride through the storm and it paid off, you know, the last five weeks of the season, he was the QB too. So it's one of those things where players typically regress to the mean. So if they're not injured, we still believe in a player. We drafted him for that reason. So the worst thing you could do is sell low like a Lamar Jackson that year. So I think that's one of the most critical things when you have a bust, it's like, yeah, that sucks. I wish they were better. But don't do something stupid like, you know, trade him away. That's how you handle that. Now, on the flip side, what I do like to do is look for players that bust that I don't own. And maybe you'll get an owner who's pissed off at them and try to pluck them away. But, you know, when it comes to busting, it's, it's something, it's not a science. We can't necessarily predict every player that will bust. 
you know, you and I are trying to do heading into the season is try to highlight the players that we do think are being overvalued and try to avoid those as much as possible. But, you know, we're not perfect. We're going to end up with some bus on our team. Everybody is. The goal is not to panic when it happens. First of all, I think a bust is more of an early round thing to me, like first five, yeah. six starting lineup range round, because I think later on in the draft, you should be taking more chances. So like you draft a guy in round 10 that gives you maybe four or five weeks of, of good production. And those might be valuable weeks to you. So even if he isn't like a starter per se, that he might, he might not necessarily be a bust, but I think some things to look out for are like, number one, don't draft a, a quarterback early. I think you can save yourself a lot of a bust, just like when, you know, Lamar Jackson, perfect example, Mahomes getting hurt that, that the year after he had the big year, things like that. I think that's a big one. Um, I think players coming into the year hurt will try to avoid that. That can help you avoid bust. Generally, like yardage per game, per game stats are going to be very predictive. So like running backs with like only like a half season of like production at like the level that you need them to be at to justify that pick. Sometimes you want to avoid those guys. Now, there are obviously it's a case by case basis because like sometimes a guy is going to be like an obvious starter and he's young and, you know, like a Cam Akers. Like, I think he's fine, you know, even though he kind of picked it up mid year. Aging curves, I think, are another thing to look at. Like, running backs generally peak very early in their careers, you know, right away almost. And, you know, after 27, 28, they start to decline pretty rapidly. Wide receivers tend to peak a little later. Like, they make a big jump year one to year two. Then they tend to peak uh, around age 26 through 28. Then it's like a gradual decline to maybe like 32-ish where you see like another big drop. So like kind of spotting where, you know, getting ahead of those big drops at wide receiver, like, you know, a guy like AJ Green, like I've been down on him for a few years. Like Jordy Nelson was one you could kind of see coming back in the day. I think it was also an injury involved with that. But, um, you know, generally guys like that, uh, you you can, that's, that's one of the other ways you can kind of see um, um, bust. But in, in general, I think, you know, just not drafting a quarterback early as tempting as it may be can, can avoid a That's lot of avoid bust. But also another yeah. very important point, um, you know, I don't consider a guy getting hurt being a bust necessarily, but um, when it comes to handcuffing or starting running back, mm-hmm. what I mean by that is by taking the backup running back. So last year, if you drafted Christian McCaffrey, number one overall, he busted um, because he got hurt, not because he didn't perform well. And if you had his backup, Mike Davis, you would have helped mitigate that loss considerably. Mike Davis is putting up legit RB1 type numbers when Christian McCaffrey's out of the lineup. So that's one of the most simple ways to kind of like make your team a little bit less fragile is when you take a top 10 running back, like you you mentioned, the first couple rounds, take their backup. That way, if they get hurt or miss any time, you have somebody that can just you put right in um, and you're not going to take that massive loss. Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard. Right, right. Like when there's Zeke, you, you know you can get Pollard. And that's the one case where I think, again, it's like what you did early on in the draft kind of affect, can even affect the value of players later on, right? Because value is dynamic in the sense that like when we put out a set of rankings, and, and this is important, when we put out our rankings and we publish our rankings, overall rankings, they're coming from kind of the perspective of, you know, the slate is empty, the board is clean. But as you start drafting, you know, like if you draft three running backs in the first three rounds, then obviously, like even if they're like you come back around four and there are like still running backs that are kind of valued ahead of other players, like there does become a point where you have to say, okay, like running back just isn't as valuable. And some of the wide receivers left become more valuable now. So it's still as the draft progresses, you know, value increases and that, and like, so like when you draft the Alvin Kamara or Zeke Elliott early with Tavius Murray and Tony Pollard should move up like a round or so, you know, compared to what we have a rank almost by default for you, just to like, just to make, yeah. kind of make sure that you get that player. And I hate like reaching on hand. Like, I, I wouldn't say like reach, reach like multiple rounds, but like if it's like a round ahead maybe, and, and you can kind of guarantee yourself that you can get, a guy like a Murray or a Pollard, it can pay off in a, in a huge way. Um, because again, those running back slots are just so difficult to fill from week to week. So if you can get like an either or situation and you kind of have your running back locked up uh, based on that, it, it, it can be really valuable. So yeah, handcuff your running backs wherever possible, but there is like an art and a science to handcuffing. Now, let me caution you. This is only an exhibition. This is not a competition. As always, please, no wagering.
Okay, let's finish it off with our research process and then in-season strategy a little bit at the end. So let's start with just how do you prep for drafts? (laughs) Well, okay. So, I mean, I'm making projections. I'm analyzing every player. I don't expect everybody to do that. You know, when it comes to preparing for your draft, I think the most important thing you can do, mock drafting. Let's say you have a draft in a month. Like I would start right now. I would hop in a mock draft from each draft position and kind of get a sense, you know, try different strategies out and get a sense of which players make it back to you. Like when the draft season started, you know, I started drafting teams a couple months ago, you know, I I thought I had a good draft plan and then I got into mocks and I was like, whoa, whoa, you need to get running backs here. You need to get wide receivers there. So you learn a lot by doing mocks. You you don't want to show up at your draft, you know, stale and not having an idea of like how the draft might flow. So I think it's critical to just mock as much as possible, you know, each point in the draft if you can, and just get a general idea of what to expect. And then from there, you can kind of, you know, know which areas you need to research a little bit more on players or tiers or positions. But, you know, you don't get that unless you mock, mock, mock. So I, I think mock drafting is the best way to prep for your draft. Yeah. And especially if you know what number your pick is, at least mock for that slot. But yeah, I, I mock for all of them because I'm entering so many different drafts, entering best ball drafts, you know, especially at low stakes. Um, if you need, you know, some type of stakes just to feel, you know, like it was worth it, you can do that. It's kind of in place of mocks. Um, and one of the things I think is big, again, just goes back to like, you don't really win or lose your draft in the early rounds. You especially don't win it. But I like to kind of finish your mocks or just visualize the draft from the end of it to the beginning. So like, for example, you know, one of the reasons we preach take a quarterback weight is that you can start with like, let's say you're in a 15 round draft and, you know, take out the kickers and defenses. Those should always be your last picks, but let's say you're in a 15 round draft and you're looking at, okay, you're looking at ADP and you're saying who would be available in round 15 that I would be comfortable drafting who's a value who's good who can I potentially like start or who's a good value here that I could get way down around 15 and you might say okay there are like maybe four or five quarterbacks here that could probably start for me at least week one week two that I could get in round 15 okay boom so I know I could take a quarterback in round 15 all right round 14 what's what's in round 14 okay there you know there's even more quarterbacks and there's also a bunch of like you know teams like second or third receivers that, you know, may not even get drafted, but that I think have some good upside that I would feel comfortable with like that last wide receiver off my bench. You do it that way. And then you start real, you, you start having your targets and your tiers for each round. And then it, it kind of leads you to the conclusion that you'll probably get from what we talked about anyway, which is that I need to prioritize running backs. I need to try to get a stud tight end if I can. Um, there will be quarterbacks that I can make do with late. But if you start from the bottom up, I find that it, it helps your draft so much because then you're going to be able to see ahead as you're picking. You're going to feel a lot more comfortable. You're not going to panic. You're not going to let the timer run out or anything like that because you're going to kind of have, you're going to have some idea of what you should do. It's a good time to get mistakes out and, and try new things. Like I said, say you want to do a mock draft and you're like, I'm going to go against what Sean and Chris said. I'm going to draft Patrick Mahomes in round three and see how this goes. And then you see Tom Brady was drafted seven rounds later. You're like, damn, that team looks pretty good. I would have been better off by holding off listening to them. You know, trying things out, being crazy, like that's the time to do it, not during your actual draft. Yeah, and even if you want to have a strategy that goes against like expert, like expert consensus is just, you know, it's just, it's advice, but that doesn't mean you can't win with a strategy that does draft a quarterback early, but that does make it all the more important to kind of visualize your draft, to mock, to kind of plan out your other picks, because it's probably going to be a little bit harder. Like I, like, for example, I actually will, especially because I enter like, you know, probably hundreds of different best ball teams and stuff. Like I will take crazy chances sometimes and like, kind of like say, okay, like I'm going to, draft a team with like Kelsey and Mahomes or something like that. And, you know, you have to draft those guys early, obviously. And so now it's like, what am I going to do at running back and receiver? And I'll kind of have a plan for that type of draft, depending on my position and, and, and what I can do. Um, and that's going to kind of be fleshed out by doing mocks and visualizing the, 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 the draft. So you can win any which way and you're, cause you're never going to be able to predict anything perfectly um, you know, there are just certain strategies that are more fail safe than others, I guess you could say. And that's what we try to. So I might, you know, like mock, finish your mocks, think from the, the ground up, 
do an upside down draft, prepare for all the different contingencies. And, and, and you're never going to be able to, again, you're never going to be able to predict like ADP is average draft position. Somebody else might do something crazy, like take Mahomes first overall. And then you're sitting there at number four and you thought you were going to maybe take the first wide receiver. And now you have to, you might get like a top three running back and that might change your draft strategy. So you got to be prepared for, for different things to, uh, to happen. So I, I just want to wrap it up by talking a little bit uh, real quick about just like in season strategy. Um, how do you use like the, the moves available to you, trades, waivers uh, to your advantage in season? Well, the, the problem with me is a lot of people don't like to trade with me. They, they think I'm trying to scam them and <laughs> they, they avoid making deals. I know the feeling. But ideally, when you're doing trades, um, you know, it's not about screwing the person over. You want to offer them a player that helps their team as well. But you're, you're trying to buy low on a player and sell high on your player. Or if you're weak at a position, you know, you're, you're trying to fill that hole. But, you know, trading is a very valuable tool in season. And especially, you know, when it comes to the waiver wire, I think one of the most important things that you have to decide during the season is, you know, when to use your free agent budget um, or your number one waiver. And I, I think it, there's so many different variables that come into it. But I think one of the things that I look for when I'm making like a number one waiver ad or use most of my free agent budget is when that player is going to offer value the rest of the season. So let's say it's a backup running back that is now going to take over the starting job and he's on the waiver wire and, and you know, the starting running back tears their ACL. They're out for the rest of the season. That running back is now super, super valuable. So I'm going to use, you know, probably my number one waiver or all my free agent budget to lock down that guy. Whereas, you know, if a player like Ezekiel, it's going to miss one or two games. Yes. A Tony Pollard is now valuable for those two games. Um, but you know, he's, he's a short-term rental. So you don't want to spend too much of your free agent capital or your number one waiver. I guess Tony Pollard is a bad example because he should be owned everywhere, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. When a guy's just going to have a one to two game um, a, a value, that's less valuable than a guy that's going to have it for multiple weeks or the rest of the season. So that's kind of how I think of, you know, the waiver wire making decisions in that regard. Generally, kind of going to your point, it's like what I, I try to do is by the time playoffs come around, Ideally, and it's not always going to happen like this, especially in larger leagues, but ideally, I would just like to have a team full of studs. So, yeah, that's another reason. That's another, right. It's, it's another reason why, like, I'm, I'm usually looking to draft a Kelsey if I can, um, yeah. because it's just so hard to, like, get that. At, but, like, if I have the opportunity, for example, to trade, like, my RB2 and, like, a, 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 my wide receiver two for an RB1, it may look a little unbalanced. Like the, it, the projections may give, you know, the other side more points, but it's like, if I'm going to have like a guy that I could count on for like top end production every week, it's going to be more valuable to me than a guy that I may consider having to bench on a week to week yeah. basis for another guy. So like, I guess it's not even just, it's just consistent production. I'm always looking for it in any league where I have to, you know, start, you know, it's head to head. So I have to start guys. I'm always looking for like, consistent production which is another reason why i'm tr like you like you said use those extra picks on running backs rather than getting a kicker defense when you don't and, until you have to or because i'm always looking to package you know as many players as i can for studs and i think running backs are always going to be the most valuable trade chips so like even if you draft a running back that may end up being a bust in week three there might be people that still don't believe he's a bust you can use that running back as a trade chip and you know you could still kind of come up off that if you package them in a deal. So it's always good to have a bunch of running backs, a bunch of receivers so that you can kind of do two for ones or three for two. Yeah, that's a good tip is like, especially when you're getting close to the playoffs, two for one trades are definitely the way to go. Because like you said, you're trying to maximize your starting lineup at that point, your bench is a little less valuable. Um, so yeah, I would agree with that. Like two for one trades leading into the playoffs to upgrade your starting lineup, I think is a, a great tip. Yeah. And every week that passes, there's less injury risk. So yep. every week that passes your starting lineup gets more valuable. You can look at schedules. You know, the teams that are down in the dumps tend to want more startable guys. That's probably why they're down in the first place. So sometimes you can make those two for one or four for two or, or three, you know, three for two or four, whatever, and get like two studs because a team just needs starters, period. Yep. And, and you don't have to worry about the trait biting you if you're in a good position. And on the other side, you know, I, you know, maybe you take some chances on some upside guys a little more. And I'm always willing to make those like two for ones. Just one last point when it comes to waiver, waiver wire and what we were talking about earlier when it comes to streaming quarterbacks on the waiver wire. 
a lot of times I head into a season with that plan, but you usually end up stumbling across a jackpot. Um, so we're not going to just be streaming Carson Wentz and Derek Carr all year long. Last year specifically, I ended up with Justin Herbert in a lot of leagues. So I had some more teams where like, I ended up on Jalen Hurts when it came to playoff time. So when it comes to like streaming these positions, a lot of time you can actually stumble upon a guy that ends up being a top five player. So that's another reason why when it comes to quarterbacks specifically, it's not a bad strategy because, um, you know, it's, it's, there's so much upside available on the wire wire that you do end up a lot of times um, striking gold. So that's another point I wanted to make. You can use those spots on more like lottery ticket running backs so that you can afford to trade away your like running back two or three. That's a good way to put it. It's, it's those quarterbacks. You're going to, you could find those top guys, whereas it's harder at other positions. So you just got to kind of plan for that. And, uh, and yeah, I think that, uh, I think that about does it. Any last final words, biggest tip, anything you want people to remember I think that everything we talked about, we're, we're just building a roster that has the most upside possible and, you know, how to funnel that into the season. So like we said, running back is the most important position when it comes to the draft. You're trying to build up, you know, a huge portfolio of running backs because that's the most volatile week to week during the season. It's it's very difficult to add you know, a stud running back in season, they're usually taken up. Whereas things like quarterback, kicker, defense, you can usually live off the waiver wire if needed. And then the last tip is just how valuable a guy like Travis Kelsey is. And, you know, the bigger takeaway is position scarcity. When, when you're drafting players, you are paying attention to position scarcity and getting players before there's a huge drop off at the position and using ADP to kind of guide when to draft players based on, you know, anticipating where everybody else in your league is going to be drafting players. I think just overall, um, <laughs> that's probably doesn't sound simple, but I think big picture, it is pretty simple in that regard. I always go back to startable weeks. And when I say startable weeks, I mean weeks that you will know to start a player and he'll be in like the top third or so of scoring that week. So if you have enough of those guys, you will win your head to head that week. So it's like a guy is valuable if he's giving you Startup production and you knew to start him, which is why quarterbacks, you can get that much later than you can running backs and receivers. You can get it kind of throughout the draft. So you just need a wealth of those guys. So um, that is going to wrap it up for our fantasy 101 podcast for the fantasy flex. Uh, you can find Sean Kerner at the underscore odds maker on Twitter. And you can find me at Chris Raybon. You can also follow us at those same handles in the Action Network app to track all our bets. Make sure you download it. You can track your own bets and a whole bunch of other good stuff. See the bets and money percentages and whatnot. Uh, be on the lookout for our next episode. Uh, we'll be diving into quarterbacks and uh, keep it going from there. Uh, until next time, let's get this money. Take care. Take care.